So the um, Buddha's Dhamma is often symbolized with a wheel, the sense of going places, the sense of um, movement and progress. It's also the wheel is a symbol of, of totality, a kind of universal quality. So, so someone, a wheel-turning monarch, is someone who has kind of universal power, and uh, so the Buddha is considered to be the one who turns the wheel of truth of the Dhamma. So it's universal, and uh, um, it's something that goes places. Where it's going to is towards uh, well-being, towards benefit, towards skillfulness, and. Uh, towards Nibbāna and it goes in that particular direction towards well-being, towards skillfulness, towards Nibbāna it doesn't, doesn't avoid well-being or skillfulness you have to go through those, those places on the way those realms these are the places where you get the, the nourishment and the food for the journey and they are conducive to um, making it possible to bring around the kind of uh, investigation, understanding, the clarity that's needed to realize Nibbana. It's a very special possibility. It's not a possibility that we have to take. It's a possibility that, that is available for us. Um, but... Uh, and it becomes something that, that is more clear, uh, uh, more one is more encouraged to do, when one has greater sense of well-being. Mm. You feel confident. You feel at ease. You feel ready. You feel fit. You're not uh, kind of limping or lame or confused or blind or sick in some way. So the, the afflictions of the heart regret and worry and doubt and and grudges and and dullness and stubbornness these are the things the sicknesses of the mind so these are the kind of diseases that uh, a practice is there to 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 eliminate so that whether we choose or incline towards nibbana or just towards getting well you know, then uh, this, these are these are the the diseases that must be uh, healed and 
recognized as such and then healed. So we can either live happily with a mind that is uh, where these forces are are pushed aside, or we can actually take that opportunity to begin to investigate uh, for nibbana. Who, who, do, who is mind? Who is body? Who is feeling? Who is consciousness? What is it about? Who holds it? Who belongs to it? It's this uh, investigation. What's it like? What are these these fundamental um, aggregates of experience? What what are they? Are they mine? Are they permanent? And this is kind of hypothetical, really. If your mind is kind of dull and confused and uh, you know overwhelmed with worry or doubt, then pretty hypothetical speculation about who it belongs to because it, <laughs> you know, you're not well enough to, 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 to bring around that kind of, uh, that kind of inquiry. Mm. And so um, this process of practice is, is, requires uh, activity, action or karma. The Buddha's teaching is based upon kamma, particular understanding of kamma, of action, cause, and the results of action, cause and effect. Something that uh, when one doesn't understand karma, you think it's kamma, you think it's karma, which is a kind of Vedic notion of almost like destiny or fate. Kamma is always something that's possible for us to change. It means action. So if we act, that's kamma, it's what's happening now. You you have vipaka, which is the results of past action. And uh, someone who's who's intent on training, whatever the past action, whatever the past results are, now they have that encouragement and that growing confidence that by correct action one can be well, one can alleviate the results of past action. But karma is, uh, 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 in the Buddha's teaching, is, is, is uh, a very th- uh, profound thing. It's body action, mental action, and verbal action. Um, so it's these threefold. And it, the Buddha says the most powerful of these is mental action. And sometimes it's difficult for us to immediately recognize what is mental action. Inclination of the will, intention of the mind, um, the structures the mind sets up, its values, its handling of values, its holding to views, its opinions. We can say all these are mental kamma, and they have very powerful effects what we believe in. You could say you, your belief is something that you bring up and your mind holds it and uses it. It says, I stand for this. I belong to that. I don't agree with this. This is the way it is. So that, that is that's mental karma. If you do that, then that, that means that there are some things one approves of and some things one disapproves of. Therefore, there will be some kinds of agreement, disagreement, potential conflict, and so on, and so on. You know, and, and it will certainly mould and shape your life. 
And so bodily karma is, is, is secondary to that because in a way mental karma turns you in one particular direction. Yeah. And so then bodily action must follow what your mind perceives, what your mind recognises. You must follow that. So if mental karma says, you know, communists are bad or something like that, or you know, then naturally bodily action will follow that, won't it? Yeah. And uh, um, mental karma is assisted by verbal karma, which is speech, obviously, and also uh, speech in- includes a kind of um, deliberate thought, as thought is the kind of internal speech, things we say to ourselves. And that's quite, that's something one must recognise, because a lot of the time we're not actually speaking using our tongues, but we're speaking using the conditioner of speech, which is vitaka, vichara, kind of fixing the mind on a particular point, fixing attention there, and then working with it. And that's based upon mental, a previous mental inclination, what we choose to fix upon, uh, our, our, our field of attention, the way in which we uh, determine that. Then, so in in um, the eightfold path, or the, the the path, the wheel of Dhamma moves along. Uh, the Buddha s- says that every aspect of this path is accompanied by right view, right application, and right mindfulness. And right view is this understanding of karma, this kind of recognition. There are causes, there are effects. Uh, I inherit effects. I give rise to effects. There are causes and effects, um, and so on. And this is the kind of essential right view. Wrong view is the thing that says, oh, it doesn't matter. Everybody does that. Nobody's going to find out. <laughs> that, that's wrong. This is wrong view. And right view is the thing that says, you know, whatever one one intends or puts one's mind into, one's verbal action, one's bodily action into, through that deliberate intention, then there's going to be results that that um, accrue to us. Yeah. So this this isn't just a kind of a gloom and doom thing, saying, you know, you're going to get caught. It also means that every good intention, every good inclination has its good results. So it's really... A, you know, it's 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 a kind of calm. It's not a negative statement at all because we do have the possibility, as human beings, to do a tremendous amount of good karma. And he, he, uh, one of the sad things of of, of material view is that mental karma is not recognised. So you think, what can I do? Sitting here, you know, I've got much money, can't do this, can't do that. And you always always think of action as something physical. So you go out and dig toilets in Ethiopia or something, you feel useful for sitting here spreading loving kindness to to your your mother or father or relative. You think, well, what's the point of that? It's just an idea in the mind. Mm-hmm. But you realise that, that 
you know, the, the qualities of, of, of kindness and sensitivity are extremely valuable things to, to cultivate. And the Buddha, in order to give guidance, also, uh, you know, kind of laid down some guidelines of, of, if you like, spheres of action for people. You know, like a little mandala or a circle which, you're, which you should work within. In terms of the social life, social convention, he said things like mother, father, wife, children. You know, this is your field. This is what you should work within. One should seek their welfare. And if you do this, a, 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 a skillful a family person does this, or their friends, or the people they employ, or your boss, or your cousins, or whatever's in your, you've got a kind of a, a circle. And that you should work within that um, specifically. This is something that's, that's your associate, your close associates, because there's a lot of effect through who you associate with, the people you come into contact with continually, the people you're related to, to continually every day. So if we're thinking about you know digging latrines in Ethiopia, but being abusive to our sister or brother brother or you know then it's like it's you get in this kind of idealistic world but really one is not uh, you're not collecting the, 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 the karma together so that one doesn't get the full benefit of it of course you want to go and live in Ethiopia that's a good thing to do it's not saying these aren't bad things but just how to 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 take heart from um, the qualities of karma and the the ever possible the the, or the or it's always good it's always possible cultivate that and the Buddha gave a lot of advice on these particular lines and similarly for the summoners then the summoners. The, uh, their, skill, their, their sphere is their fellow summoners, so the elders to be respected and looked after is a kind of basic summoner dhamma. Um, the teachers, the elders should look after those newly gone forth, like someone who guides and, and looks after and cares for them. And this kind of sense of relationship within a sangha, then it should be related to the Buddha's dhamma, so that sharing one's requisites these are kind of very fundamental summoner dhammas or karma good skillful actions for the society of summoners and then you get the kind of relationship between the two you get the society of, of the lay family people society of the gone forth people and they also associate and look after and support each other so that the lay person's, if you like, their duty or their possibility is to support um, the summoners, the gone forth people. And the gone forth people, their possibility is to present teachings for the welfare and the benefit of people living family life. So it's rather, uh, this, is, this is your kind of basic references for, for skillful karma. Something one should not neglect. And when the mind is in the kind of 
don't know what to do state. Or, you know, it, it's so easy, it just it loses its context. And particularly in a situation such as we have in the West where the families are kind of much more broken up, you don't really have neighborhoods much anymore. You have cities, you don't have neighbors, you don't have families, you don't have clans, you don't have tribes. So people just often don't know where they're at. You have kind of brief, brief, flickering relationships with people, and people have kind of glancing remarks to at work, and you grunt at over the table and brush up against in the tube or p- push past in the corridor. And it's all kind of, you know, like there's no real centre to to people's lives. Or this is something that's diminished. So it's very helpful to do that to prov- to recognise that. Because when the mind is in that particular undefined context, you can see the results. People just don't know where they are. They don't know who they belong to. They don't feel they belong to anything. So the mind is kind of dissociated and nebulous and doubting and irresponsible. Mm-hmm. And it's not just irresponsible to to other people, it becomes irresponsible to herself, to, to this body, uh, to this mind. It's a kind of total dissociation experience. And this is wrong view. And ironically enough, this total dissociation experience is sometimes what people think Nibbana is. <laughs> You know, or non-attachment. I mean, non-attachment equals dissociation. You know, it is a, a kind of interesting, kind of such an absurd paradox that, that you know, kind of. So you know, this is something one has to recognise, particularly uh, when you cultivate cultivating meditation. Meditation is not dissociation. And dissociation is a fairly common experience for people. Just drop, don't want to know, look the other way, not interested, not bothered, don't connect. This kind of wrong view negates effort. And sometimes people don't even like to use the word effort or application. It sounds like it's all forceful striving and pushing away and willful, but application effort is a subtle thing, you know, it's a recognition that there are effects. It doesn't mean you've got to be thumping and pounding away all the time, it doesn't mean that one should stay with things and, you know, it takes effort to play a piano, a violin, or it still requires effort, it doesn't mean you've got to thump it and bash it in some kind of forceful pig ignorance insensitive way but that quality of consciously touching getting your hands onto something being with something feeling it out and so this is where we get the the skill of that um, mental and verbal comma to verbal comma if you particularly you recognize it as the conditioner of, of the, the thought process that one does 
it's not just applying yourself physically, but it is, you know, applying yourself in some kind of blind, willful way. But the application through this process of fixing, attending, and evaluating, considering, reflecting. Mm. So that, of course, in that process, we are actually able to, with right view and mindfulness, you're able to adjust effort to what's suitable. If there's no right view, you don't understand effort. And therefore mindfulness doesn't get stimulated. (coughs) If there's no mindfulness, then your effort is often just kind of crude. So right view, right mindfulness, right effort work together. And certainly one should cultivate these three in all aspects of the path. Well, of course, we're at Samana, even their, their, their duty to their, to their blood relatives is to present them with Dhamma. So the Buddha said, you know, your parents who you owe so much to, so much that even if you set them up as, as monarchs of the world, that would not repay the gift. He said, but if you teach them, you make them a little more moral. Or as someone who's kind of tight-fisted, you make them more generous, or you encourage them, then this repays it. So, so you know, that recognition of there is there is this thing that we, we do for each other. We don't just kind of sit back and look blankly at each other as impermanent conditions. And it's just passing in the night, as it were. This is dissociation, if you're doing it from that point of view. process uh, uh, Buddhist path is all sila morality or we could say this kind of conventional action the way that what the world understands as action and the more skillful or refined action called samadhi meditation and the wisdom which is the the, the tool that uh, is, is both sharpened by Sila and Samadhi, and also as it sharpened, then regenerates Sila and Samadhi. So this is why it's a circle, all these things working together. So in meditation, what is the skillful karma? Meditation, Samadhi, is a skillful karma. It's something that you deliberately activate. You do it. You bring it around. You bring it around with body. You bring it around with with uh, the verbal conditioner of thought. You bring it around with mental conditioner of in, of the intention and uh, through establishing particular perceptions in the mind. And uh, just as the um, Buddha is uh, kind of pointed out, particular sphere of influence we could say for our social lives also the realm, the sphere of influence by meditation is, is called the four foundations of sati of mindfulness body feeling mind 
and then the objects of mind. So these are the things that one performs skillful kama with on this kind of refined level. And it's a kama that's a, a kama which is just about like uh, maintaining, because for the process of meditation, we're not particularly trying to do anything in a in in a, in a productive way. It's more like a fine tuning and cleaning and healing and nourishing and understanding sort of action. Just like we could say that, um, you know, you could say there's a difference in work. And, and chores, you know, work is like when you go out and build something, and chores is like keeping the house clean. They both require action. So meditation is more like the daily chore, if you like. It's the kind of tidying up, and the cleaning, and the healing. It's not about making something, uh, you know, going out and doing some, getting some particular project going, but actually just really working on the existing state of affairs, Called that within we can witness within body, feeling, mind, and mind objects. Uh, and these are body is something then with medit with meditation that you're rather like. You know the way that one would care for a, a dying relative or a or a or a child, someone you cared for. It's like what what it what it re- you require to really bring around well-being into the body. What is it that bring well-being? Just just by just by being here with your body, what what will bring well-being into it? And to discover this is is marvelous because, of course, everybody wants well-being in their body. But what do we do? Say we go to a spa, we go lie on a beach, we eat something nice. Yeah, true. This does do it. But bringing well-being into the body, just in the body, as it is, through the through the mind, is a much more refined and potentially far more skillful uh, discipline. And this this is something we can do. And the Buddha rec- recommended the basic conditioner of that is the breath, breathing, fully opening to breathing, setting the body up so that it breathes fully, attending to the breathing, bringing the fixing and evaluating of attention into the breath, mm-hmm. determining, you know, in leaning towards the breath, inclining towards it, establishing the perceptions of breath, feeling it out so that one's body becomes a breath body. And you obviously, of course, the breath is a very fundamental condition for the body. If you don't breathe, goodbye, basically. You can go without food for a number of days, but uh, without breath. So, and breath is very immediate. You know, so you can vitalize and relax, and just through the process of of of, of breathing and attending to breathing it doesn't mean doing very much with it, but just fully attending and and witnessing and opening the body up to breathing. You begin to the the, the quality of of um, well being comes around.
And you can see that uh, this is a very uh, pure and refined kind of karma, in that the quality of well-being is essentially calm, stable, settledness. It's not kind of, uh, you know, uh, sort of stimulated. It's just a, uh, and you realize if you, if you practice this and you begin to contemplate causes and effects, causes and effects, you recognize that, that powerful stimulation tends to leach energy out of the body. It kind of it, it draws it out, so you maybe get a good buzz or a good high. So you, you know, various things that people do for to get a good hit off of something or the other. Yeah, you do get a kind of profound, you know, lift up, but then you get a profound crunch down afterwards. So, but the quality of of well-being that comes through samadhi is actually it doesn't diminish, it actually charges and regenerates. It's subtle, but it's, it's buoyant, it's uplifting, it doesn't bleed energy out, it actually seems to connect the body to, to its own vitality, and you get a kind of regenerative sense of well-being. And uh, as one practices this, then it's not something that you just do in a glancing way, but very thoroughly, you know? feeling out the fullness of the breath, the in-breath, the out-breath, and noticing the kind of, you know, any little ways in which that is not sustained, that the wandering, the, not, the dissociating mind, you know, and really kind of bringing on kind of good-heartedness and generosity of attention to that. So this sense of mental inclination and thought inclination have to fit together with that. These are the most powerful forms of karma in that they are very immediate and they they make a world of difference. So if you're setting up the inclination, for example, of of non-attachment, it's a nice idea, but the likelihood is that you're just going to a dissociation pattern. I mean, non-attachment is is certainly a a Buddhist teaching, but it's something that, that, that... one should be wary of how you, you think of that. It's a result. It's not a, it's not a doctrine. It's, it's a result of, um, that comes around. That is because of this sense of, of well-being that, is in, uh, that comes around through samadhi. Then certain things you're not interested in anymore. You loosen up. You're not so tight. You're not so needy. You're not so defensive. So there's that kind of easing, which is what non-attachment means. Your mind isn't clawing and desperate for something. You can let go a bit. So that's that's the result. And the intention is a kind of collecting or withdrawing from... uh, unskillful inclinations of mind agitation, worrying brooding, grudging um, self-aversion restlessness ill will you know, it's just it's a withdrawing from that but it's a drawing also into qualities of 
connecting sati, which is the real, you know, which is essential aspect of this samadhi, right view, right effort, and then sati, mindfulness, connecting, collecting, bringing yourself moment by moment onto an object, which is the breath, such as your body, such as standing, body standing, such as walking, and body walking. And if you do this, then it, it uh, you can begin to uh, also recognize um, the karma of particular perceptions. So normally, I suppose, if you said, well, you know, what's your body? You'd say, well, you know, I'm 140 pounds weight or... Um, you know, I'm five foot nine, or you know, I've got long hair, or knobbly knees, or something. And uh, you know, this is my body. It's like that. It's old. It's young. Whatever. But uh, those are all just ideas, really. Those are just labels that we stick onto it. If you're looking at, if you're really experiencing body in body. And this is what mindfulness is about. It's actually connecting to body, not in a descriptive way, not in a, not from looking at it from the outside, but actually in and of itself. And directing your attention that way, so your, your perception of body is not man, woman, six foot, two foot, six foot high, six foot wide, or whatever. That's a perception. Perception is of something that kind of feels solid, there's a certain kind of warmth, there's vibrancy to it, there's, a, there's movement in it, there's, there's a sense of it, it's all cohesive. It's, in other words, it's these, what they call the four elements. So as we're breathing, you can recognize just that sense of movement that's called, that movement's called the air element. And of course there is, we call that breath is air, isn't it? But you don't, you know, it's a, it's a metaphor for that move, movement experience. Actually, even to call it air is not true. In and of itself, it's just movement. And when the movement, what it, what it pushes against is the solidity or the earth element. You know, that's when the breath stops and you get to the end of a breath, you feel the weight, the kind of sense of, of solidity. We call this earth. It's a good enough word. And the body has a kind of vibrant vitality, energy to it. We call this fire. It's associated with warmth or coolness. And certainly as uh, um, there is a subtle warming that comes around in the body through, through skillful cultivation. It's because of the vitality in it this kind of fire or vitality element you can experience and then there's the way in which it's all sort of you know there's no it doesn't break up into parts you know all bodies all connected together so when you experience your body with your eyes closed you don't experience a leg here and an arm there and an ear up there with it's all kind of stuck together and you can move throughout that realm well this sticking together cohesion in the water element and that's a that's a particular perception in the mind 
You know? Now, if we can, you know, through practicing, just look at that, you know, look at your direct experience and begin to, say, to see whether that translation into that perception, what is the effect of that? What's the karma, what's the result and effect of translating things into those terms? And it's not that they're not true, and it's not that they are true. It's that they are conventionally a different set of perceptions than here I am, weighing ten stone, five foot nine, uh, going bald, whatever, you know. What does that do? You know, you think like that. It's vanity, worry, comparisons, just, you know, that's the result of that. That perception sets up that train of thought. What happens when it's the perception of warmth, solidity, and so on? You know, when that's when it's perceived in that way, the mind is calm, stable, steady. There's nothing to do about it. There's no particular envy because you recognise well that's that's all everybody's body is really. Old, young, male, female. It's about that as a direct experience. It doesn't do wonders for your self-image, <laughs> your kind of romantic aspirations. It's but uh, you know, it's what, whatever, what, whatever you like, really. But this is say for for uh, you know for that powerful feeling of a kind of well-being that's settled rather than consuming, greedy, longing, with all its separation and grief, and jealousies and comparisons. This is very nice, just to be four elements. It's very nice. And then walking, walking along, walking backwards and forwards. It's this, there's movement, isn't there? And then every time that you, you get that impression of the the feet hitting the ground, you call it. But actually, the movement is arrested by something. Bang. That's earth. Right? So you can contemplate these things. And you can, you know, bringing your, your attention to that mode of perception is calming and settling. It's a result. It's a good karma, you'd say. But if you, yeah, you have to activate it, because you don't activate it, then it's you know, your mind will just go into its old patterns, and the old patterns don't really like these meditating very much. They think, "What am I doing this for? How long have I been sitting here? How long do I have to walk up and down for? This is a dark thing to do. I could be doing this or that or the other. My knees hurt. <laughs> My ears are cold." <laughs> I don't see why I should have to do it. Is there another way I can do it? You know, those old habits, that's what they do. So, if you're not doing, you know, you don't have a way out, really, from karma. You can't say, well, I don't want to play the game. You either play one game, or you play the other. Really? So, you know, just look, say, if one's going to, if one's interested in meditation, then one should really meditate. And do what's required. Because otherwise it's like you're dancing in the wrong party. 
And uh, it's to know this, that it's not just about kind of, you know, letting anything happen. It's very quite specific, um, the foundations of mindfulness. It's not just that kind of easy. It's quite specific. I want you to attend. So this is, uh, if you like, where... You know, we call it, say, uh, developing collectedness, because in some ways one has to relinquish a train of habits, a set of thoughts, a customary mode of perception. And then, so we relinquish that, then you have to energize, lift up, stimulate, encourage another. But if you do, and you, you see the results, you know, resultant karma of calm, well-being, settledness, speaks for itself. And it means that it becomes more possible to eliminate and to see fallacies and delusions of thought. And to see kind of fallacies on, and um, corruptions of intention, such as not want dissociation, not wanting to be bothered, such as impatience, wanting to get past, get on and get, such as greed, such as denial and grudges. You really see these before they take over. And you can begin to weed them out by referring back to the, the foundation. So, for example, the foundation of body, we stay cultivating within that so that what the mind experiences is these, these kind of elements, this elemental quality, these elements. And then you can notice that gets broken by... Uh, 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 an unskillful thought. So then it's it's gone. It's broken. It's like you, you know, something's broken into your body, and then you, just to to not kind of get caught up in that, just to pull out that that dart, and then fill it fill up again with the experience of body. So that you can do it, cultivate like that. And this is. Uh, the first foundation of body is, is, if you like, is a kind of home base. Mm. And, when, and it's the first thing because it's the, it's the easiest, it's the kind of most tangible, most palpable foundation you, can, you have. You can see it and you can see other bodies and you can move it and you get powerful effects from body. So that, you know, as one's learning one's art, you have to work on that till you get the skills. And I mean, this is just a kind of prioritization because it's not that you should never notice a feeling, but the general tendency is body. As you, and then as you develop skills, then naturally, you know, it becomes more possible to really look at and work with the feeling tone, the way in which sensation is interpreted. See, feeling as a feeling rather than something we react to or favour or deny. Mind is mind. It's, a, it's an organising system. It's a system that uh, c- creates, collects, puts together moods, mindsets, uh, emotions, uh, just thoughts and so on supposed to do that, it's what it does 
we can we can actually recognize that now, um, practices of of skillful karma should always be remembered because of that tendency for us just to want to space out you know this uh, called a uh, um, vibhava which is a sort of getting out dropping out spacing out not bothering non-attachment these kind of these are the notions that come into the mind don't want to have to feel a body don't have to connect to it and this is not just an, uh, an idea this is actually quite a powerful habit that, we, that, uh, that is accumulated and strengthened the body is something that, that uh, like it, you know, there's a certain responsibility that means that the, the will is constrained by that just as if we have children then they constrain us if we're going to really do, the, do right by them they limit what we can do and there can be a resentment about that don't want to be bothered yeah. want to be free But actually, freedom comes through these rather than despite them. And so this is the process of sati, is, is really learning this, the right view, right effort, and right mindfulness together, bring around the best, the health, highest well-being, they make us healthy, not just happy, but healthy and strong. So as we to, to, as we meditate tonight, as we meditate, just how to just consider how do you, you know not just what you're meditating on, but how do you meditate? You know, what particular perhaps be for fully conscious? What do you what do you consider meditation? Do you think it's sitting? Is sitting meditation? Is you like to sit? Is that what it means? It's not, is it meditation mean not thinking? Is that what it means? Does meditation mean sort of uh, not feeling things? Does it mean, you know, dropping things or what? I say it means skill, the most skillful comma. And skillful comma requires the right intention and the right context. So if you're sitting and your body is just screaming in pain all the time, or you're falling asleep, or you just you know, or you're sitting so you don't have to notice things, it's a kind of dulling out experience, then the sitting is not meditation. Sitting is dissociation, sitting is irresponsibility. But if sitting is encouraging enlightenment factors, investigation, mindfulness, sense of, of vitality and uh, joy and tranquility and collectedness and dispassion and equanimity then it's, it's, it's sitting is meditation but by that time it's not sitting it's just elements isn't it and breath and feeling and, and the, these factors themselves are all that the meditation is
So it's it's kind of irrelevant things like, you know, techniques and how long you sit for and how long you walk for, because it's really just uh, using these just as one would, say, uh, recognize a sphere of, of, of duties in order to bring around a sense of diligence and kindness. These are the things that we we cultivate, say, in, in terms of of our social interaction, responsibility, caring, kindness, diligence, this sort of thing. It's not important how much or whether you you know, whether you're a painter or a decorator or a plumber or a dentist or a therapist or whatever, you know, basically your task is bringing around well-being. So this is rather like, it doesn't really matter whether you sit or walk or stand, whatever your job is, as long as you are doing it with this feeling of directly connecting, bringing around well-being in body, in feeling, in mind, and, and in the mind objects. So that when there is a kind of the quality of, of good health, when we, the mind does, we do feel settled. When the stability, when the mind is enjoying itself, so it becomes eager, willing, bright, you know, bright. It, we can, it becomes, we can move it around. We can ask it to start to investigate this very foundation of existence. Where are these elements? Who do they belong to? What is a feeling, anyway? Consciousness, what's it about? What is what we call the, the five khanda? And these consciousness, feeling, perception, form, and mental inclinations and activities. But these are really just concepts and notions until one has uh, established samadhi, meditation. They're just, they're just ideas in the mind. You don't know that you can think them, but you don't really know them. You don't experience things in that way. You can, you can, you can analyze it later. Is that we don't really experience a feeling as a feeling. What, what, it's, you know, that what it really is. until the mind is, is settled and healthy and stabilized doesn't doesn't work so this but so this is really the uh, the kind of the groundwork and so nibbana is the result of being able to investigate these five khanda to really understand them see them but you can't do that until they've actually appeared, until the, the, you actually experience the things in that way. Not just as ideas, but... Yeah. And for that, these experience of samadhi is very helpful, because you can actually witness perception. You can actually directly bring around and effect changes of perception. Just as I'm saying, the perception of body can be of, you know, male, da-da-da-da-da, or it can be of elements. I mean, that's, that's a definite change of perception. And so you see, you know, not 
the, the elements, it's just a perception. And me as six foot two, whatever, it's just a perception. It, you, know, you, you really see what that thing is mm-hmm. through that process of samadhi. And samadhi gives us that opportunity, uh, 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 you know, a uh, concrete experience of the nature of perception, of its creation, of its effects, and of its essential, ephemeral, conventional nature. It's not real. Mm. But you don't know that when you've only got one perception, one set of perceptions. You think, oh, I am this all the time. You know, in me. You know, and so you, unless you've got something else to refer to, you think, then you, you don't know that. You can think it, but you don't know it. So that samadhi allows us to, to recognize that. And it allows us to recognize um, and bring around p- powerful changes of feeling and consciousness. So then when these things are, un- are known, experienced, then we've, got, then we've actually got something to, that you can develop insight through. You really can investigate it. Yeah, as it's happening, this is mind. You know, it's all it is. It's not, you know, an absolute truth. It's a conventional experience. It's a relative experience. This is a mood. This is a feeling. So just collecting yourself around a body in a way, is a a good exercise for that. Because you can see the things, you know, the, the things that, that impinge upon that experience. You know, you can witness this is a thought. You know, it's like that, isn't it? Just something that darts through, like a comet. Wow, what was that? All sorts of sparks and fire in its tail. But when you are that comet, you don't even notice it. You're just not oh, thinking about this, that, and the other. You don't, you don't see it. You don't feel it for what it is. When you're actually there with a the breath, then what is it? what's a thought like then? What's a memory like then? It's kind of searing experience, delightful experience, and suddenly, you know, and you ca- it catches you, and then you're off. You're the other side of the universe in, in three seconds flat. You're out the door, and you're <laughs> That's a thought. And normally, this stuff we play with all the time, just like it's like it's nothing. You know, read books, think things, watch television, watch videos, saturate with 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 thoughts and perceptions, and they're dynamite. They really are dynamite. I mean, there are good ones, but they're they're, the bad ones. But they are all powerful, comma, and you don't know that, really know it, unless you've cultivated like this, and you see it, and then you see that, and you think, and you know, hey, careful what you think about. Be responsible what you put that thing onto. What you fix your attention onto is going to produce powerful results.
This isn't kind of like moralizing, it's just practical survival. <laughs> and if you've got to add a little bit of health and well-being, then you know what it's like to get the flu. If you had some health and well-being through meditation, then you know what it's like to be sick, to be mad. Yeah. What happens when you stick your attention onto that, and you put your will into that, and you develop a perception of that? I mean, this is dangerous stuff to not to fool around with. Karma is not to be taken lightly. And similarly, karma is also a great joy. You bring your mind onto Buddha. You intend towards that. Then, powerful experience, if one can do that. Hmm? Towards kindness. Towards ease. Towards trust in these things. Towards generosity. Just to, you know, sustain that thought. Hold the attention there. Sustain that. Cultivate it. Make much of it. Develop it. There's beautiful results. Mm-hmm. You don't have to worry about how much good you can do. You know, that, that, yeah, I mean, that's something. That's in the social world. In terms of your own health, just to sustain the mind through perceptions that are skillful. Thoughts that are kind, thoughts that are wise. Don't let it just run around, gobbling up any old garbage. Now that wheel, that travelling wheel, needs a path. It needs a direction. It needs to move. It's not something that's just going to spin on its own. So this is our, our practice. It's, it can be very modest, very humble, very just little moments of this and that and the other, quite mundane. But so just to know every moment counts. There's something skillful you can do. Something will bring around your own well-being and that of others. And if we know this, then we have sustained right view right effort and right mindfulness and the path must evolve from there so offer this for your reflection